Welcome to the November 8th Sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 6, verses 25 through 40, and the sermon is entitled, The True Bread of Life, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. I was thinking about Paul this morning as I was getting ready this sermon one last time. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You remember that Paul had a thorn in the flesh, something that he asked God to heal him of. And God said, no, I'm not going to heal you of that because I want to use you in weakness. And in fact, the scripture is this in 2 Corinthians 12. God says this to Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So today, I come to you a little bit weaker as a human being. A little bit weaker after going through this COVID flu. And yet God's strength is upon us. God's strength is upon me today as we gather in this place. Yes, while I might be a little physically weak right now, you're not going to hear a weak preacher today. You're going to hear the strong message of Jesus Christ and the gospel. And that's what it's all about. It's not how strong I am. It's how strong he is. And I'm so thankful that we are together in this place. So today, we're going to continue on moving through a sermon series through the Gospel of John. This is sermon number 23 as we continue on in this study, taking another step, day by day, step by step, through the Gospel of John. And you remember that God used this elder of the disciples, the apostles, to give an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus Christ. In fact, John admits that there was no way in the world that he could write down everything that Jesus did. In fact, he said, if I wrote down everything that Jesus did in his ministry on this earth, the world could not contain the books. But there's a reason John wrote this gospel. I want you to memorize the scripture. It is John chapter 20, Verses 30 and 31, this is what he says. Here's the purpose John had in mind as he wrote these words that we're studying through right now. He wrote this, And many other things truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing, you might have life through his name. So what we're seeing here is that this is a witnessing tool for the world. John's heart is that every person in the world would read this gospel, see the life of Christ, and come to him as Lord and Savior. God doesn't want to lose one of us. And this is a great witnessing tool. So this book, pure and simple, shows us the life of Christ and the life that we can have in him and through him as our Savior and our Lord and our God. Now, in the last couple of sermons that we've been through in John chapter 6, we've studied Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now, at the end of that miracle that day, when Jesus fed 5,000 men, an unnumbered number of women and children, at the end of that miracle, if you remember, that crowd wanted to lift him up and proclaim him as an earthly king. They were so enthused by what he had done. But if you remember what Jesus did, 
John said he didn't want that kind of fame. He didn't want to be an earthly king. He didn't desire earthly fame. And so because of that, he retreated from the crowd up onto a mountain alone by himself. He avoids all the calls to kingship. And he simply wants to be the Lord of people's lives. Not king, but Lord. So it's obvious from the text here that the multitudes see Jesus leave as he feeds the 5,000. They want to lift him up as king. They see him retreat from them, going up on the mountain, away from them. But as Jesus goes to the mountain, I remind you that the disciples did exactly the opposite. They went to a ship by the sea. They were going to sail across the Sea of Galilee that very night. They were going to go across the sea about eight miles from one side to the other. They were going to leave that area where Jesus fed the 5,000, going across the sea and dock in Capernaum that night. But in my last sermon, if you remember that, as we studied it together, the disciples get into the boat They get about halfway across the Sea of Galilee. There's no turning around. They're right in the middle, and a storm rises, and it thrashes their boat. And they're in the middle of the darkest of nights, and they're scared out of their wits because the storm is taking over. But Jesus comes to them. Jesus walks to them on the water. Jesus comes to them in the boat in the midst of their In the midst of their crisis, in the midst of their problem, Jesus comes to them. Ladies and gentlemen, I have found that to be true in these last couple of weeks. In the midst of my crisis, Jesus came to me. He came to me just as really as if he had walked on the water to my boat. And that's what he did for the disciples. And when he got to their boat, two miracles instantaneously happened. First of all, When Jesus got to their boat in the middle of that storm, the storm completely calmed. And the sea got like a tabletop. Jesus himself has the reins of control over nature. Jesus himself has the authority of the universe. And so he made that storm lay down. But the second miracle is this. Remember, they're in the middle of the sea, three or four miles out. And instantaneously, they had covered another four miles, and they were in the dock in Capernaum. Jesus has reign and rule even over time and over distance. And he put them in the dock immediately where they needed to be. But here's a fact that I want you to remember. That crowd of 5,000 plus people saw Jesus go up on the mountain alone that day he fed them, and they didn't know anything about the night. They didn't know that he'd left the mountain. That crowd of 5,000 didn't know that he'd walked on the water, that he'd met his disciples in the sea, that he'd taken them on over to the other side to Capernaum. Okay, well, that's where we pick up today. That's where Scripture picks up as we study now. Jesus... And his disciples are now in Capernaum after the miraculous night on the water. And the crowd that had been fed on the two fish and five loaves had now sailed to Capernaum looking for Jesus. So I want you to turn with me to John chapter 6. And we're going to start with verse 25 today. 
But before we get to verse 25, I do want to remind you of this. Uh, As you look at John chapter 6, look at verse 24. Because I think this is a point that we cannot miss. I, I made it in my last sermon, but we can't miss this point. Verse 24, chapter 6 says this, When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. The crowd of 5,000 realized that they needed to find him. They needed to seek him. And ladies and gentlemen, what I want you to know today is no matter what our world is searching for, be it happiness or fame or money, possessions, whatever it is, really down deep, what every person is searching for is the peace and the life of Jesus Christ. All people down deep are searching for something, and ultimately what they're searching for is our Savior. We have a ministry, we have a gospel to proclaim because the world is looking for Him. And we can introduce the world to him. So we're going to pick up now at John chapter 6, verses 25 through 40. Open your Bible with me. Have it in your lap. I want you to read it along with me this morning. And I want you to keep in mind who this conversation is with. As we read this scripture today, remember that this is a conversation, a dialogue between Jesus and And this huge crowd of 5,000 people who had followed him over to Capernaum. So he has a dialogue with this multitude of people as he's teaching them and instructing them as the Savior. So let's read these verses. John chapter 6, go to verse 25. Hear these words. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, whence camest thou hither? Jesus answered and and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore... Give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me, 
and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. What a beautiful reading of God's word. What a beautiful assurance that God doesn't want one person lost, but he wants us all to come to belief and trust and faith in Jesus Christ. I want you to go back to verse 25. This verse has a little bit of humor in it, I think. John 6, 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? So the next day the crowd catches up with Jesus in Capernaum, and they ask, Hey, Lord, how did you get here? The last time we saw you, we saw you walking up on a mountain, retreating away from us, and today you're here on the other side of the sea. How did you get here so fast? So their curiosity is getting the best of them as they wonder how Jesus got there. Again, not realizing about his walking on the sea in the middle of the night. But look at verse 26. And I want you to notice those flag words of verily, verily. Listen to this verse. Remember that Jesus is saying something that's extremely important here in verse 26. Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Now I want you to listen to this. This is not a complimentary statement uh, of Jesus toward all of these people who had been fed the day before. This is not a complimentary statement to the crowd of 5,000. Because what Jesus is saying is this. You all followed me across the Sea of Galilee. You followed me over here to Capernaum, not because you're seeing me as Savior. You didn't follow me here because of God's power that you saw in my miracles. But rather, Jesus said, you followed me because you were looking for another free meal. You were looking for another handout. You were looking for... Another meal that was going to come free of charge. Your purpose has the wrong reason for following me here. You didn't follow me across the sea as Savior. You followed me across the sea for another meal. So your intention and your purpose is not right. You're not following me for the right reason. And in verse 27, Jesus goes on to say, Don't spend your energy working and striving after perishable things. Don't think that your life is encapsulated by the meals that you eat. But rather, Jesus is saying, you strive after the things that are eternal. Don't run after the things that will rot and perish and pass away, but rather strive after the eternal life that I want to give you. Put your heart after and strive after the food of everlasting life. And I can give you that. I want to give you that. 
That's what you need to be striving after. And Jesus said this, God has sealed me with the authority and with the power to forgive you forever and promise you heaven. Jesus is telling this crowd of 5,000, I'm the one who can save you. And I'm the one who can give you eternal life. Don't think about food. Think about life. Don't think about worldly things. Think about eternal things. Don't think of me as a miracle worker. Think of me as the Savior. The miracles are simply indicators of my power and my authority and God sealing me to be Savior. And then the crowd asked Jesus in verse 28, well, how do we earn these blessings of God? What do we have to do to earn the forgiveness of God? What do we do to earn eternal life? Again, Jesus makes another very important statement. I want you to underline it, star it. In verse 29, 629, Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Believe, underline that word, circle that word. Believe on him whom he hath sent. Believe on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He calls us to believe him in forgiveness, to believe him in blessings and everlasting life. All of that is encapsulated in one word, believe. In fact, really, all of the Bible revolves around and rotates around one word, believe. Put your belief in. Put your trust in. Put your faith in. Put your value in. Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. There is no other work and there's no other act that can bring us forgiveness and eternal life. We can't witness enough to do it. We can't be moral enough to earn eternal life. We will never be able to put enough money in the church offering plate to buy ourselves eternal life. We will never be able to sit in church enough to earn eternal life. We will never be good enough in our actions to earn life. But Jesus wants to give us life everlasting because we believe him, because we invest our faith and our trust in him. He calls us to believe him, to confess him above everything else in the world as our Lord and our master. Well, certainly we believe that Jesus literally died on the cross, that he shed his blood that we might be forgiven. We believe that he literally rose from the dead to assure us as the firstborn of the dead that we too will be raised to eternal life. So the total package of true salvation is bundled up in one single word of the Bible that we see here in John chapter 6. And the word is believe. Believe him. Trust him. Submit to him. Now, I want you to stay with me here. And I want you to listen to this point that is very important. I want to qualify that by saying this is not a call to lip service belief. This is not a call just to say flippantly, oh, I believe Jesus. Oh, I believe in God. You know, Satan believes in God. He's not saved, but he believes in God. Sometimes people just flippantly say, well, sure, I believe in Jesus. Sure, I believe in God. Sure, there's a man upstairs. 
That's not the focus of this word belief here that we're studying today. Scads of people say, I believe things. I believe Santa Claus. I believe fairy tales. I believe this or that in the world. But Jesus is asking us to believe and surrender with all of our heart, with all of our might and soul, that He is our Lord and our Savior. Belief is deep. It's not just lip service. It's saying, Lord, You are the centerpiece of my life. You are the one who sits on the throne of my heart. And I believe You. I believe everything about You as You give me Your promises. True belief. Saving belief means total, unyielding, unwielding, unbending surrender to Jesus as our Lord. That we totally submit and surrender to Him in the truest belief and trust of all. Total submission. Listen, if you can say, I believe Jesus, but I'm going to do my own thing. Sure, I believe Jesus. I believe the man upstairs, but I'm going to live my way. I'm going to ignore this word, make my own truth as I go. One of these days at my funeral, you can go on and play the song, I did it my way. Friends, that's not belief. That's not trust. That's not surrender. That's not the belief that Jesus is talking about here in John chapter 6. We can't ignore the word. We can't make our own path. You have grossly missed the mark of the role of Jesus Christ in your life if you say, yes, I believe, but I'll do my own thing. You've missed what Jesus is saying here. Here's our Lord. Here's our Master. We bow our knee to Him, and we surrender to Him, and we follow Him in everything that He calls us to do. Listen, if you can't get off of the couch... And if you can't do something in service to the king, and if you can't get off the couch to worship the king, you have insulted the Christ of the cross. We can't take belief flippantly, but rather we give our all to him, and we surrender to him everything that we have of our life of our future, of our home, of our family, and of the way that we're going to serve Him and love Him and worship Him. Well, as we go on to John chapter 6, verse 30, the crowd then poses another question to Jesus. They said, if we do believe in you, what sign are you going to show us? What little miracle are you going to produce to show us, to prove to us that you're the real deal? And they said, remember, Jesus, Moses gave Israel manna from heaven back there in the Exodus. Why don't you rain down a little bread here? Why don't you bring a little something out of the clouds to prove to us that you're real? Well, look at John chapter 6, verse 32. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, there are the words, this is important. I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. So Jesus corners the crowd as they're talking to him, and he says to them, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. God did. Moses was the human uh, person who was leading the Israelites, but God gave you the miracle of the bread from heaven. And today, Jesus said, 
God is giving you bread. God is giving you life. God is giving you the strength from heaven. And it's raining down on you right now. He's giving you life from heaven because he sent the bread to you. What Jesus is saying to them is, I am that bread standing with you now. I am the one who can nourish you and keep you to eternal life. God gave the Israelites bread, literal manna bread, back there in the Exodus, but he has sent the true bread of heaven to you today, and I'm standing here before you. Here is Jesus' definitive statement about himself. Again, this is such an important passage. Underline these words in in John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus' definitive statement about himself, he says, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Jesus Christ is the eternal nourishment of life that every single person on earth needs. Jesus is the true bread. Jesus is the true nourishment. Jesus is the truth of eternal life. He alone is the single and only decision of life that gives us a place in heaven and eternity when we believe him, when we give him much more than lip service and we bow our life and our heart and our will to him. You know, great food passes away. Lots of money, oh, it can be lost in a heartbeat. Houses can burn, cars can dent and rust away. Fame is going to fade, and I want you to believe me today. I found out in this last couple of weeks that in two hours, perfect health can turn to the brink of death. I found that out personally very recently. Everything we have is dependent on the grace of God and the blessing of God. What happened to me a couple weeks ago changed my strength but it also changed my attitude, and it changed my outlook, realizing that I built up my life walking two miles every day, trying to be strong, trying to keep active, and it disappeared just like that. And I realized that all of my life is dependent on the grace and the blessing and the healing and the strength of Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. I have nothing in myself to give. It is all dependent on how He blesses me, and on how He heals me, and strengthens me, and reinvigorates me now for ministry once again. And believe me, while the body might be a little weak right now, the fire is burning inside more than it has for years of the gospel message of belief in Jesus Christ. Only what Jesus gives lasts, satisfies, And it's universally true for every single person on earth. Every person, some way or other, is seeking for Jesus. They may not know it. They may not understand their search. But down deep in their heart, they're seeking for Jesus. Pastors Clyde and Jeffrey spoke so well in their last two sermons about needing Christ in the challenges of our day. And I appreciate their messages. Gentlemen, you spoke well, and I was fed by your messages. 
But listen, when the world goes through a challenge, and when the church faces a struggle like we have been facing since this past March, and when we get anxious and tense and worried and we take our eyes off of Jesus, when we look away from Jesus, when our belief begins to falter and fade, that's when things will turn south. That's when things get hard. That's when we realize that we're walking away from Him and things will falter. When life hits the wall of discontent or grief or challenge or struggle, whatever it is, we can't take our eyes off of Jesus. But rather, that's when we need to believe the deepest, follow Him the closest, and hold on to Him the tightest when we go through these days of challenge. And so today, can we stand up together as the church of Jesus Christ and say, Lord Jesus, lead on. And as you lead, Lord, we will be following. We will be following in belief. We will be following in trust. We will be following in looking to the ways that you set the footsteps that we're to follow you in ministry and outreach and the gospel to the nations because all people are seeking for you. And we need to be ministers now, Lord. Lead on. I'm with you. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we cannot wait to follow Jesus until a virus passes. And we cannot wait to follow Jesus until our government gets perfect. And we cannot wait to follow Jesus until our world straightens out and all is good. That's never going to happen. Today is the day to take our stand. So we surrender. We believe. We follow. And we bow our knee to Him. You know I love my kids. All of us parents here, grandparents here, we love our families, we love our kids. And we take the bullet for our children and grandchildren, wouldn't we? And you know, if I had the means to pay off my children's houses and cars and stroke a check and say, don't worry about sending the kids to college, here's the money for that. As an earthly father, I can't provide every single thing for my children. As much as I love them, I can't provide all of those things for them. And yet, Jesus promises us that He provides our every need that He takes care of our every challenge, that He walks through us in our every need for healing. Jesus says, if you will believe, not just lip service, but if you will believe with your heart and surrender to me, I will meet every single need of your life. Isn't that amazing? Jesus says, if you come to me as Savior... Not, talk, not talking about lip service, not any patty-caking, uh, I believe in God, the man upstairs, but true surrender. If you truly bow to me, Jesus says in this passage, I'll never turn my back on you. I'll never leave you when you get in a tight spot. When you're in the middle of the sea in a tempest, I'll come to you. I'll take care of you. I'll strengthen you. I'll heal you. I'll bless you. I'll be with you. That's the Jesus that we serve. That's the Jesus that we worship today. That's the Jesus that we take out of this church into the world as the gospel message. 
And Jesus said, I'll never cast you out if you know me. I'll never put you to the side if you come to me as Savior. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the character of our Jesus. A promise that will never be broken. He will never leave your side as you come to him in faith and trust. And he says in verse 39 that God the Father will not lose one of his children. The entire message of the Bible, again, revolves around this passage that we're studying today. Look at verse 40, the last verse of the day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The entire will of God for his human creation is this, that everyone come to him as Lord and Savior. And when you do, you will have everlasting, joyful, secure, eternal life. You know, the challenges of this old world of sin and imperfection will open up to true life. We're to keep believing. We're to keep trusting and bowing our knee to Him. And just like Jesus, when God finishes up history on this earth, when the last man, woman, boy, or girl is saved, when the last earthly day comes, Jesus said all believers are going to be raised up to a heavenly reunion of life. And we're going to live eternity together under the blessing and the healing and the banner of love of God. As I close today, I want you to remember that Jesus told this crowd, you've got to look beyond money. You've got to look beyond food. You've got to look beyond the worldly circumstances. You've got to look beyond the virus. You've got to look beyond the government. You've got to look beyond the world and see me, believe me, and trust me as the true center of life. All believers are going to be raised up one day. And as I close, I'm so grateful that he is the center of life. Have you made him the center? Really? No lip service. But really, is he the center of your life? Is he the center of your strength and your heart? Is it the first thought on your mind in the morning, in the last prayer at night, that you've bowed your knee to him. See him as the bread of life. It's about surrender, friends. Not just saying, I believe, but I surrender. He is my Savior and my Lord. Today, will we stand up and say, Lord God, I sell out. I surrender. I bow my knee to you, and I believe you as my Lord and my Savior. That will change us, and that will invigorate us to take the gospel in the world. And if you need Jesus as your Savior today, it's more than just admitting, I believe there's a God up there. But rather, to receive Him as Savior is to say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you want to take up residence in my heart and in my life. You went to the cross to forgive me of my sin. You rose from the grave to give me eternal life. I need you as my Savior. I need your forgiveness. I need your life. Today I come to you as the true bread of life who wants to live in me and give me eternal life. Lord, come to me, save me, make me your son or your daughter forever and ever. Beginning this very moment, I give my heart to you. If you open your heart to him now, the promise that he makes right here in John 6 is, I will never, ever leave you. 
and I will never forsake you, and you will always be mine. Make that decision for him today. Church, God bless us as we continue to be ministers of the gospel in a world that needs to see Jesus. Let's have a word of prayer together. Our Father, our God, thank you for these precious moments that I get to be in your pulpit, Lord. More so today, maybe than over 38 years, what a privilege it is to be in this place this day to deliver your word. Father, I pray that you will bless and invigorate your church, that we will not be scared by a virus or a government or the world's situation or whatever may come, Lord that we will stand up and stand out for Jesus, the one on whom we believe and the one in whom we will live and minister. For that one who needs Jesus as Lord and Savior, I pray he or she will come to you this day. Bless us, we thank you, and we love you in the strong name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.